And I just want to state before we read God's Word and go into prayer how much I appreciated uh, Josh coming up for this Sunday is the Advent Sunday of Joy. And Josh did an excellent job on expressing what truly is joy. And for a moment there, I was worried he was going to touch on one of the definitions that I found for joy. But you're going to see a compliment to what Josh said this morning in today's message, which is on joy. So please take your Bibles. We're going to be reading out of Philippians 4, verse 4. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are here that your presence is in this place, that your presence, I pray, is in our hearts and in our minds. We just heard wonderful and participated in worshiping you in spirit and in truth through blessed songs that speak your name. For you and you alone are worthy to be praised. And so, Father, let us now take that time of worship And let us now understand what it means to have divine joy, as Josh spoke about for the Advent candle. I pray your blessing to be upon your word. I pray your blessing to be upon this message. And that, Father, may we all leave here today with a deeper understanding of what joy really is and how we are to live in it every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Yes, it is the Sunday of Advent where we celebrate joy. Uh, growing up as a Catholic boy, it was Garet or Garetti, which means rejoicing in Latin. Uh, as altar boys, you had to learn certain expressions. But uh, it was the Sunday of rejoicing, and there's a lot of stories going around as to why the candle is pink and why it's called the shepherd's candle, Uh, although I'm not going to dive into that today because there's many different stories, Um, some relating to the vestments that the priests would wear would be pink on this day. Um, Others would be how people would paint their rooms while they're expecting their first child, so it's a color of expectancy. Um, We could certainly see that here, or why it's called the shepherd's candle, who... uh, We're joyous to hear from the angel of the Lord the announcement of a coming Savior. Now, this week, knowing that it was going to be the theme of joy, what I decided to do was a little different. I went in and I read all the scriptures that talk about joy, focusing more so on the New Testament, but also covering some in the Old. And I was looking for distinctive themes within that. And what I realized is the theme of joy is unique in that for all of its properties, it's probably one of the least recognizable theological terms in the Bible. Although it's in the ESV, identified 179 times in 171 verses compared to, let's say, Love, which is over 300, but it's more than hope. 
In fact, if I was to ask you, name me some theological terms that come to the top of your mind, the first one would probably be love. And I would agree with you. If I said to bring up a second or a third theme in the Bible that's prevalent, you might say hope. You might say faith. Again, I would agree with you. But how long would it take before you would say joy? Joy is one of those terms that doesn't just jump out like a hot topic for a Sunday school class or a word study or a discipleship class that takes eight weeks to cover. Other than the third Sunday of Advent, we may not even really address joy in its full depth. Or maybe through some songs or hymns we do throughout the year. You know, the reason I think this is the case is because sometimes we see joy as a complementary term. It goes with something versus a singular theological distinctive theme, which it is. The second reason is, is because I think we tend to treat joy as only an emotion or simply a synonym of happiness, which Josh made the distinction that it's not. It merely describes verses having meaningful application. And this couldn't be farther from the truth. For joy has its own theological meaning and significance. And it is something as Christians we need to understand, especially during the Advent season, and embrace it and walk in it just as much as we do with love, just as much as we do with hope. This morning, I would like to share with you the theological theme of joy as we celebrate this Sunday. My hope in this sermon is that as professing believers in Christ, we understand more fully what joy really is, also what it's not, how we receive this joy and maintain it in our lives, and who is really the object of our joy. And why is it so important to know this? That's what I hope to cover in this sermon. Now, what is joy? What is joy? And Josh provided some great definitions and theological dictionary definitions, and I'm going to add to those. Now, before I do, we've got to understand that when we look at terms such as love, hope, faith, and joy... It's sometimes hard to define all of these words because they have an everyday meaning in the common language, right? Which has an opportunity or it takes opportunity to change it from its true meaning. But we're dealing with theological terms. Therefore, they have a divine meaning that goes far beyond the English definition. And we need to understand those. Plus, those English definitions can be ambiguous and not necessarily define truly what is being said. And so we need to see them in their divine context because the meaning gets diluted and becomes ambiguous with its worldly application. And so when we look at these terms, let's first look at the word joy, and in the Greek. And in the Greek, it comes from the word chara, 
And chara means cheerfulness, a calm delight, a gladness or exceeding gladness, or exceedingly joyful or full of joy. Now to enhance this a little bit, my old theological dictionary where all the pages are old and and, uh, I really enjoy getting into what it says. It says, joy is the consistent mark of both the individual believer and the church. It is a quality and not simply an emotion grounded upon God Himself and indeed derived from Him and characterizes the Christian life on earth with the expectation of Christ's return and being with Him for all eternity in heaven. Now what I like to do sometimes is, yes, there's the dictionary and the Greek and we can even study the Hebrew and the Latin if you want to. But I like to hear what some theologians say some present-day preachers say about what joy is. John John Calvin defined joy as a quiet gladness of heart as one contemplates the goodness of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. John Piper, you may be very familiar with him, says Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, in the Word, and in the world. John MacArthur defines it this way. Christian joy is the emotion springing from the deep down confidence of the Christian that God is in perfect control of everything and will bring from it our good in time and our eternity in eternity. Now, those are some really good definitions of joy. So that we can conclude that from these definitions, that joy is a quality that produces a feeling and an emotion from within by way of the Holy Spirit where our confidence is in Christ and lived out in the life of the saint and his church. Now, as I said earlier, if we don't truly understand the context of what these words mean, we will take them out of context, and at times, joy is often confused with happiness. And Josh alluded to that in in, in what he was saying with us this morning. Joy is not happiness. Listen to what Alistair Begg says. He's he's becoming one of my favorite preachers today. Uh, You can listen to him on uh, KFLK 95.9, shameless plug. But this is what he said in comparison between joy and happiness. Listen to what he says. Happiness is regarded largely as a spontaneous response to temporary pleasure. That's a pretty good definition of what happiness is. By contrast, joy is not determined by a sense of well-being. In other words, you can have it when things are not going well. Because joy may be experienced when things are ill with us. Happiness depends on what happens. Joy is distinguishable from that in as much as it shapes our attitudes to our circumstances and our surrounding. I like the distinction that he makes between joy in that it's not merely happiness, but it's a divine emotion that springs from within and is vastly different than earthly happiness. 
I tend to look at happiness as something that looks at the lateral, whereas joy springs from the vertical. You see, we're always looking for things in the world to satisfy our happiness. In fact, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, which I didn't cite, it seemed like the whole definition was predicated upon you receiving something for your pleasure. And so sometimes we look for the lateral things to bring us this joy that can only come from the vertical. Happiness tends to come from the external, where joy, as Josh said, is coming from within. Now, it's important to understand this because, and and listen to this, if we fail to seek true divine joy in Christ, we will seek worldly happiness as a substitute. And we will attempt to find it in all manner of unfulfilling things, some of them very dangerous. I think we can all find ourselves at times trying to fill that void of divine joy with things of this world. And if we fail to recognize what real divine joy is, and in a few moments where we receive it, how we maintain it, how we live in it, then we're going to struggle the rest of our lives in our Christian faith. I know Christians today profess believers in Christ who do not walk with joy. And it's a sad thing. It's a crushing thing. I just had a conversation with one of those those people last night as I I ministered to a, a person. And it's my, every time I speak to this person, it is my purpose to bring joy up, to bring the person up from the despair of focusing on the things that are going on in their life and bring them to a joyful understanding that they're walking in the Lord. And they can have that peace. And it's effort. It's easy to go negative. It's easy to go the way against the Lord. It's easy not to believe. That's easy. But it takes strength of faith and the strength that only the Holy Spirit can give you to believe in Him and have that joy. So where does it come from? Where does this divine joy come from? First, let me say that you and I cannot produce it ourselves. We can't. I cannot go out and buy a brand new fishing pole, brand new boat, brand new truck, brand new house. It's not going to bring me joy. It's going to bring me happiness for a period, but not full joy. There's nothing we can say. There's nothing we can do to give us this divine joy. In fact, I think there are many people who are, who are seeking it on those, on those terms, and they're not finding it. This week, for my job, I had to sit in on an interview, three and a half hours long. And although I can't go into the contents of the parameters of that interview, we were dealing with an individual that had a lifelong battle with depression. And as a result, it produced alcoholism, drug addiction, debt due to materialism, and some other issues. And although he battled it all all of it through his life, he had seen several counselors and psychiatrists, given medications to help him deal with it. 
although they might stem the feelings that he was having, it didn't fully eliminate them. And so what he would do is he would use drugs and drink in order to produce this joy he was looking for in his life. Or, which I found very profound when he said this, numb the absence of it. To numb. He recognized he didn't have it. Now, I don't want to minimize clinical depression. My mom suffered from clinical depression. And how sometimes people need to seek professional medical help and maybe even be prescribed medication to help them cope. But I'm also in the belief that the God, our God, is a God of transformation and deliverance. And if he can extricate the demons from the man who possessed legions, put him in his right state of mind, clothe him, bring him to belief in Christ, that I'm convinced he can deliver anyone from anything at any time. And the whole time I was listening to this man, listening to this interview, as I was not conducting it, I was merely assessing it. The whole time I was thinking, this man needs godly joy. This man needs the Lord. And he can only receive divine joy by being regenerated in Christ. He's not going to find it in the things he's doing in his life. They're actually destroying his life. Romans 15.3 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now there's a lot to unpack in that verse, but I want you to focus in on one specific segment, and that is in believing. In believing. Last week I shared... Uh, for Evan of love, I share John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation is made by way of God's grace, believing in Him. Believing in Him. And when we believe in faith in response to the grace, it brings regeneration with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And in this fullness, we receive divine joy by way of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't come from what we can obtain. It comes from Him and by way of His Holy Spirit in His fruit. Now, Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now notice I said fruit and not fruits. Because all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is part of a divine package. Unlike the works of the flesh, which precedes it in Galatians... You can pick your poison there, and not everybody exudes all the workings of the flesh, but you can pick your poison, if you will. But not so with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Although they are distinctive, they are all one. You cannot have one without the other. 
And in order to possess this fruit of the Holy Spirit, we must go through regeneration, but we also must walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Listen to that verse. If you are walking in the Spirit, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh do not come upon you without you noticing it all of a sudden and blindside you. There is a process in our sin, and we have a role. And if we're not walking in the Spirit, which is a commandment, by the way, but by God's grace, He gives us the power to do it. And so it's not within ourselves. When we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we seek Him to help us walk in the Spirit, He gives us the power to do it. And when we walk in the Spirit, we will not desire the things of the flesh. Therefore, we will exude the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We will exude the fine joy. And what does it mean by walking in the Spirit? It means to be under the full control of the Holy Spirit. That means you've got to let go. You've got to let go. You've got to come to the Lord with a willful heart. You've got to come to the Lord with an obedient heart. You see, we all have the propensity to sin because of our fallen nature. Until we are in glory with glorified bodies, the tug of sin will always be a part of our life, unfortunately. And if we're not walking in the Spirit and being under the control of the Holy Spirit, we will not produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to purposely and willfully obey the command to walk. And when we do this, as I said earlier, we'll unlock the power. Now, I mentioned earlier that they are interrelated. They're distinct, but they're interrelated. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Let's go there real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And let's break these down real quick. Because as I said, they're interrelated. You can't have one of the fruit without the other. So let's take a look at the first one, and that is love. Love is an agape love, a godly love, a perfect love, a sacrificial love that looks to others more than himself or herself. And we know this definition of love is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so we're, we don't need to go there and expound on that, but you could go there after services and read what the definition of love is, divine love. So we know what love is. And when we do not possess this love, this agape love, by being under the control of the Holy Spirit, how then can you have divine joy? You can't. The opposite of love is hate. And if you have hate in your heart, how then can divine hope exist? Or excuse me, divine joy exist? It can't. Well, how about peace? How much joy would one possess if they had no peace in their heart? And life is full of turmoil and stress. because of our actions or our decisions or our sin. How much joy can be produced if you're not at peace? Or what about patience? How much joy can we have if our lives are not ones that wait upon the Lord and rest in His presence, 
but impatiently make hasty decisions and live a life that's self-centered. How much divine joy can you have if you live that way? What about kindness? How much joy is produced when we're negative, spiteful, hurtful, or live with malice in our heart? I'm here to tell you, divine joy won't exist in that same place. How about how much joy would we have without goodness and virtue and moral excellence where our actions willfully hurt others emotionally or maybe even physically? How much divine joy can you experience in that? None. What about faithfulness? How can we possess divine joy if our trust and confidence is in anything other than the Lord? I can assure you everything except the Lord will disappoint you at some time in your life because of the fallen world. Then there's gentleness where joy is truly found in meekness and mildness and temperance. And not in pride and arrogance or a volatility, volatility of emotions. You ever been there? How about self-control? How do we have to find joy when we're seeking passionate pleasure for ourselves? Fleshly desires. Pride. You're not gonna define, you're not gonna find divine joy there. And so as we walk through each and every one of these fruits of the Holy Spirit, understand that in order to exude divine joy, we must walk in the Spirit and exude all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now this breakdown of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that I just went through didn't come from some theological book. It didn't come from some article. It didn't come from some article that I read online or some video that I watched. This is my life experience as I looked at every one of those fruits of the Holy Spirit, I realized if I'm operating in the flesh, I am never going to get that fruit. And it's not that hard to get tripped up and walk in the flesh. Pride, anger, an unloving heart, unforgiving heart. You know what's produced when we walk in the flesh? Sorrow. Sorrow. I never had deep-seated happiness or joy when I was in the flesh, when I was pre-Christ. I had sorrow. I knew something was missing. Something very important. And it wasn't until age 27 that God showed me what that was. Then I knew. Then I understood. Then I received. And I received his joy for life. If we desire true divine joy in our life, it can only come by way of faith in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ and you're not experiencing joy in your life, assess how you're walking. Assess how you're walking. Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the spirit? Divine joy can only come from walking in the Spirit.
So having defined it, understanding its source, then what is the primary object of our joy? What is the primary object of our joy? When I speak to people who have wandered from their walk in the Lord and their lives are not going the way they hoped and are feeling out of sorts or out of touch with God, I always hear this consistent theme from them. You know, I just need to get back into church. If I could just get back into church and get back into a routine, I think I could turn this thing around. My response to them is always the same, no matter who says this. My response is always the same. It's not about church. You've taken your focus off Christ. Until you get that right, church isn't going to do anything for you. It might provide fellowship and it might provide validation. It might provide a sense of acceptance. But until you focus on Christ... It's not going to fix. It's not going to get fixed. You see, the object of our joy, our divine joy, cannot be, as I said earlier, lateral experiences. It cannot be just experiences. It cannot be feelings. It cannot be religion. And it cannot be for joy itself. I heard people say that too. I just want to be happy. Well, let me help you with that. The source of our true joy is Christ. And because of who we are and the propensity we have to defer to the flesh and its desires, it's easy to lose focus on that. Jesus himself recognized this when he said this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I really like what A.B. Simpson says, the founder of the CMA, when he says this about focusing on Christ as our true source of joy and the object of our joy. He said this, Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is His word. Once His gifts I wanted, now the giver alone. Once I sought for healing, now Himself alone. You see, we can be focused in the wrong area as Christians. And A.B. Simpson himself went through that process to where now he only looked, after this experience, he only looked to Christ, who was the provider of all that he was seeking prior And when we focus on the source and not merely the object of joy, then we receive the fullness of joy. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand and our pleasures forevermore. It's in his presence is where we're going to fully receive divine joy. Are you in his presence? Jesus Christ is the focus for all of our faith, all of our hope, all of our love, and all of our joy. Our redemption is in Him. Our salvation is in Him. Our lives have been purchased by His precious blood through Him. 
our sin paid by him. Our reconciliation where we're now presented faultless before the Father with exceeding joy is in him and through him. All that we have, all that we'll ever have, is going to become, is going to come by way of Christ and him alone. One of my favorite songs that I sing when I'm not experiencing joy in my life is the old hymn from Helen Lamel. It was written around 1922. And as far as hymns, it's relatively new, but compared to some of the old ones. And the song is, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Now this hymn, as the story goes, as I understand it, is, was inspired by a track written by Lilius Trotter, a missionary for Algeria. Trotter was writing about the difficulty of maintaining focus while living in a world that provides us with so many choices. In other words, being distracted. She gave this prescription for keeping one's life moving in the right direction through a track that Helen received. And, it said, and that track said, Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at Him, and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from Him. And this lent to the song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I don't need to give you the rest of that song, which is precious. Just that course. It's a course, right? That's a, yeah, just that course. Sums it all up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim in light of His glory and grace. Earlier this year, I, I went through something I have not went through in years. You heard me talk about it before in a, in a different sermon. And, and I remember just feeling so anxious and so fear, just full of fear that I know is not supposed to exist in me. I'm not supposed to be anxious for nothing but through prayer and supplication, make my request known to the Lord. And, the, and, 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 and He will provide the peace that surpasses all understanding. I lied in bed. That verse over and over and over and over and over and over and over until those feelings left. And like I said in that sermon, it took me about four days before the peace of God came. See, I was focused on the wrong things. And as a result, through an experience, God refocused me. So why is this important? Why is it important to understand what joy is? Why is it important to understand where it comes from? Why is it important that Jesus is the object of our joy? It's because this is how we're supposed to live this Christian life. Remember the definition from the theological dictionary that I quoted earlier? It said, stated joy characterizes the life of the Christian and the church. That is why every day, we are to awake with the joy of the Lord in our heart. In fact, we can even quote Psalms 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I mentioned Alistair Begg earlier in this sermon on joy, and he made a mention of a time in his life where a man handed him a note that he still keeps to this day. And it describes a man 
of God in a hospital suffering from brain cancer. And a nurse wrote a critical comment on his chart. Patient X is inappropriately joyful. Now, the writer of that note said in response to this powerful statement, the note that he gave to Alistair Begg, is that it is now his life purpose to live it inappropriately joyful. To live this inappropriate life of joy is to live this life in Christ no matter what we face. Whether it is when we have much or when we have little, whether we are in good health or whether we are suffering, living a life of joy transcends our circumstances no matter what they are because we live this life in Christ for Him. Not ourselves. Not ourselves. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Before I was saved, as I shared last week as well, my hope was in me. My hope is in what the world could provide me. And to tell you the truth, when you view it from that perspective, it produces a lot of anxiety in your life. Because you know you're not perfect and you know the world's not perfect. And it caused a lot of anxiety in my life. And I still carry some of that anxiety today. I was happy, sure, at times. But that sustaining, deep, assuring joy was absent in my life. When I gave my life to Christ, not only did hope transform into an assurance from desperation, but joy began to exist deep within my soul in a way I've never experienced it before. It wasn't at that time anymore about happiness. It was about a constant feeling that I, I am His and He is mine. And no matter what I face in this world, He is there with me to give me strength to overcome it. And you know what? Jesus Himself said, that is a life that you can have. When He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Now we're not talking materialism. We're talking the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Living this Christian life with a divine hope, a divine faith, a divine joy that helps you, raises you, elevates you above your experiences that you're facing. You know, I, I can't help, and it's not in my notes here, so you can see that. I can't help that my brother Tim talking to him on the phone after his battle with COVID-19, which is unlike anybody else's other than Jim and Martin that I've ever, ever heard of, hospitalized. You had inappropriate joy when I spoke to you on the phone. And I felt, wow, Lord, is that what it takes for me to have that inappropriate joy? <laughs> then sign me up. Because you spoke about how 
You talk to other people, how you, God opened doors for you to share your faith and how you were making a positive difference in other people's lives. And, and it wasn't about you. It was about Christ revealing something in you and then you revealing that outward and then having such joy being used by the Lord in that manner. It was truly inappropriate, <laughs> but appropriate. And that's how we are to live all of our lives. So are we living an abundant life in Christ as described by Jesus? I pray we are. But if we're not, let us then receive what we have heard by understanding what joy is. That it's not happiness. That it derives from a life that's regenerated in Christ. Whose object is Christ. And his purpose is to be lived out every day in our lives. This week we celebrated the theme of joy. It is my hope and prayer that we all live a life of divine joy. And I hope the words that I provided you this morning from God's word and perspectives and definitions help you walk out of here asking yourself, do I have this divine joy? And that you would go into prayer and say, Lord, I want to live a life of divine joy. Help me to do that. Help me to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks and praise for who you are. I thank you that your word is truth. It's always true. And it's powerful. And it penetrates. And it strengthens. And it convicts. And it keeps us on the right path. Father, we thank you for the fruit of joy. We thank you, Father, that we can have divine joy through you. And I pray, Father, that we will walk in that divine joy every day. And I just give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.